Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Over the weekend, millions of women marched around the world in support of women's rights, and by extension, against the presidency of Donald Trump. Women and men marched for various personal and political reasons in support of Planned Parenthood or abortion rights because the current administration turns its back on science and facts because women still don't make as much money as their male counterparts. In support of immigrants, they marched in support of diversity. But even though the moment was powerful, so powerful, anyone who was on social media, I think, saw their streams overwhelmed this weekend with images and messages from the various marches, the message was only loosely formed. And that raises the question, can this type of march become an actual movement? How do you take the moment and make it into something larger? How does a group large enough to coalesce around a political agenda that leads to true change? Think of the civil rights movement or think on the corollary, the political corollary, Think of the Tea Party in more recent years. Uh, We have seen movements in the past grow out of moments and make real change. We want to talk for the first two segments today about how to capitalize on this moment in sort of American history, uh, this pivotal moment uh, in cultural and all kinds of other things uh, going on uh, because of the election of Donald Trump. And of course, we want to hear from you. Uh, We haven't talked much about the marches on the show uh, yet this week. I want to hear from people who were part of those marches. If you were part of the march here uh, at Wayne State University or if you were in Ann Arbor uh, or if you got on a bus and went to Washington uh, to take part in a march, I want to hear what your experience was like and what your expectation was or is now about what will be next? What will come out of this? What do you expect to be able to change now that Donald Trump, uh, at least uh, according to our Constitution, will be president for the next four years? Uh, Now that at least for the next two years, he will have a Congress that is uh, of the same party and willing, apparently, to go along with the things he wants to do. What are the things that, that the people who disagree with all of this, the people who stand in opposition, What are the things that they need to do uh, to make uh, a real sort of push toward resistance uh, of the things that Donald Trump is doing? 313-577-1019 is the number to join the conversation. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. Uh, We'll work your comments into the conversation. Talk to me about uh, the movement that could grow out of the women's marches around the country and around the world over the weekend and what you think you might do uh, to help inspire the creation of that movement. What are the things that we need to be doing locally and nationally uh, to make this matter? Joining me up front to talk about this issue is Kanata Williams. She's a history professor at Wayne State University. Kanata, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me back. Yes, good to have you here. Uh, Also with us is uh, Carrie Moss. She's the executive director of the ACLU of Michigan. Uh, ACLU has been strongly supportive of Uh, these women's marches, also is strongly supportive of a lawsuit uh, that is being filed against Donald Trump for violating the emoluments clause uh, 
uh, of the U.S. Constitution. We'll talk about that as well. Carrie, welcome back to Detroit today, too. Thank you, Stephen. Absolutely. Uh, Kanata, I want to start with you. Uh, let's talk about what happened this weekend. Uh, your work focuses on sort of the history of these kinds of movements, of the civil rights movement, of the women's movement, the historical women's movement. Where does this march uh, that we saw millions and millions of people take part in, where does it fit in uh, sort of along the spectrum of those things? And what is it, what's the sort of call uh, to the people who participated now to make it more than just a weekend? Well, I think part of what we saw over the weekend was the beginning of what could be a movement. You know, it's certainly a moment, but there's the intention of many of the attendees and the organizers of moving forward. And that fits into a larger tradition of organizing and mobilizing um, for various issues, whether it's women's rights uh, against slavery, whether it's for civil rights or even for black power. Um, and the key, I think, is that even within the organizing of the marches, you've got a lot of different voices, a lot of different agendas, a lot of different priorities. And I think one of the questions that people were asking at the event I attended, and you could see it on social media, is what's next? Right. right. And in order to move from it being a moment and into a movement, we really do need to see action. And I think the challenge is making sure that we educate people who are interested in these issues of social uh, justice, making sure that they're educated on the many, many things that they can do uh, to turn this into a movement. Yeah. And what would that movement look like? I mean, uh, you always hear people refer refer, uh, to the civil rights movement. Uh, And I think in a lot of people's minds, that means something very discreet and specific. Of course, if you go back and read the history, uh, it was many different things and many different iterations. Uh, What would a modern movement sort of look like in, in comparison uh, to that civil rights movement? And, and how could it be effective, especially given the difference in the era? I mean, everything about organizing, everything about uh, activism looks different, I think, today, largely because of social media, uh, along with the dissolution of uh, the impact of mainstream media. How do you even begin to think about how to, how to be effective? Well, I think one of the things you do is you try to learn the lessons of the older movements. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to repeat and do everything that they did, but learn from their mistakes so you can be much more efficient and uh, going forward. I think one of the differences we see today is that we only have new tools, new actors, and new agendas. I think that's the only difference. Organizing is essentially still the same. You gather your soldiers together, you plot out an agenda, and you work it. You You get as many hands on deck as possible. And so I think what we see or what we need to see for this movement is the laying a new foundation. Um, figuring out what we all or what uh, as many issues as we can agree on as possible, understanding that there are a million things that need to be done and that everyone can do something. But I think the key is making sure that people know what they can do. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that that has been sort of uh – 
a wake up call, I guess, to people in the last uh, week, because <laughs> it only has been a week uh, since the president was inaugurated, is the speed with which these issues are going to confront us. I mean, this is not an administration that is going to roll things out uh, over time. They're going to blitz uh, this stuff up front. And I think it's I think it's totally fair to sort of feel overwhelmed by the things that are happening on all of these different fronts and then to sort of sit and think, well, which one of these things do I spend my time trying to, to do something about and how do I do something that's effective? Well, I think one of the things we've got to be aware of is that we have to prepare for the long game, you know, right? with the, the sort of whiplash many of us are experiencing, not just daily, but every other, you know, every hour or so with the new reforms that are coming down from the Trump presidency, we have to realize that we have to be in this for the long haul and that the reforms and changes we're advocating may not be in place next year, they may not be in place the year after, but we still need to be all working together and for it. So I understand the feelings of overwhelm, absolutely. But the key is to move from overwhelm into action, yeah. you know? And again, there are very there are a lot of things people can do. You can donate to causes, you can volunteer, you can join organizations. Um, there are a variety of groups that have even developed a platform like resistancemanual.org. Yeah. They have at least 15 <laughs> different campaigns you can join. And for every campaign, they've got things you can do at the state level, the local level, or even the national level. And it's really specific, yeah. you know, the, the, the sort of action steps you can take. So if we have everyone on board, if we have everyone doing something at least one day, once a week or once a month, then we will get there. Yeah. But I think the key is that we have to realize that with this new administration, we have to be in it for the long haul. The civil rights movement did not happen overnight. <laughs> we call it the freedom struggle for a reason. Right. You know, it starts in 1865 <laughs> and it continues right. today. Right, you know? right. Uh, Carrie Moss, executive director of the ACLU of Michigan, I want to uh, bring you into the conversation here. First, with your reaction to the things that happened uh, over the weekend and the role that the ACLU is is sort of trying to play in all of this. Yeah, thank you. Well, you know, it was unlike anything I've ever seen in my life. Uh, it, you know, it was actually widespread across the state. There were protests everywhere uh, across the country and, and across the world. So there was, I think, you know, a, a real note of dissent, which is very much in the American tradition. There's also, I think, a reflection of real fear and concern about rollback um, of the, you know, our basic kind of civil rights protections that have taken decades, if not centuries, to secure. And I also think it, you know, was reflective of a re real renewed energy and commitment. But democracies are messy and social movements are messy. <laughs> yeah. And I think that what we're going to see is a lot of kind of disorganized activity, uh, and and reforming of some of the more formal advocacy structures. And the challenge is going to be to be able to develop effective ways of countering the most troubling substantive proposals. Like there's a rumor this week that there's going to be a ban on immigration from certain Muslim countries. Right. Um, right the building of the wall is going to there's going to be the Supreme Court appointment and defunding of Planned Parenthood. 
And I think all those issues are going to really uh, take people's attention. Um, but I also think there's a real focus on formal structures and the playing field and the fairness of the playing field. And so I hear a lot of conversations about how do we modernize Michigan's electoral system and, you know, is redistricting, um, you know, has it created a system where uh, it's fundamentally unfair uh, and not reflective of the values uh, of Michiganders? And so, and, and of course, nationwide. And so I've never heard so much conversation about the rules of the game or about different ways that people can engage. So I think that's really exciting. Yeah. Uh, I also want to talk to you about uh, this lawsuit that is coming together uh, that that challenges the very basis of the Trump presidency, uh, essentially says that because uh, the president has refused to divest himself uh, as as presidents have in the past from the company's that he owns and is at this moment uh, presumably receiving foreign payments to those companies, uh, that he's in violation of the emoluments clause of the Constitution. This was a story that, of course, uh, came out immediately after the election and has sort of bubbled in the background, I feel like, uh, for a long time. I happen to think that this is the principal uh, uh, the principal offense, I suppose, of the of the Trump administration, and 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 something that uh, that could undo it. Uh, ultimately, talk about sort of the, the 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 premise of that suit. I think most people have never heard of the emoluments clause uh, of the Constitution, let alone know what it says. Uh, catch us up on on where that is. Well, this lawsuit was just filed this week. It's not an ACLU lawsuit, but we, of course, are following it with interest. Um, it, it reflects the conversation that's been going on throughout the entire campaign about whether or not there are ways that uh, the president and his family can financially benefit from uh, his role as a public servant. Um, and I think the primary objective is, is actually to get his tax return, right. um, which at this point, I believe Kellyanne Conway has, you know, kind of acknowledged that he will not release voluntarily. So there are going to be some really tricky questions around standing. That is about whether the right people or organizations filed the lawsuit. Uh, and it's hard to know how that's going to play out. Sure. Um, the ACLU did file its own lawsuit on um, last week. Um, uh, seeking uh, under FOIA, Freedom of Information Act. And, you know, one of our biggest concerns is just simply that of government transparency and the worry that, you know, the integrity of our democratic institutions suffer when the public loses trust and confidence that they are not being told the truth or being provided with honest information. And so that lawsuit is intended to get the release of some documents uh, you know, that that should really be in the public sphere. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guests are Kadata Williams, a history professor at Wayne State University, and Carrie Moss, the executive director of the ACLU of Michigan. We are talking about uh, the women's marches that took place uh, all around the country over the weekend. Can the moment 
that was really obvious and evident from those marches and the pictures and the messaging from those marches be turned into a movement? Can they grow into uh, action and activism uh, aimed at uh, preventing some of the things that Donald Trump says he wants to do as president of the United States or answering those things with resistance? And if so, how does that happen? How does something move from a movement to a movement? Uh, and what can you do as an individual to help make that happen? Uh, we want to hear from you. If you went to the marches, you went to the marches here in Detroit or Ann Arbor uh, or traveled to Washington over the weekend, uh, what was that like? What did you feel uh, when you were a part of those marches? Uh, and what did you expect? What do you expect going forward to happen as a result of those marches? Was it just a weekend? Was it just a moment? Or are you also sitting and thinking about ways to turn that into action? 313-577-1019 is the number to join the conversation. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. Uh, we'll work your comments into the conversation. Let's go to Joanna in Rochester. Joanna, welcome to Detroit Today. Hello, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, good. I wanted to report in because I went to Washington. Mm -hmm. I rode on a bus overnight Friday night with a bunch of fabulous women. We're just, I'm a 57-year-old you know, mom from Rochester. And it was, we walked nine miles. We got back on the bus kind of slept overnight and came back. Uh -huh. It was a life-changing event. And the things that I want to share is, one, I feel that because we had marches all over the world, the world gets it. We're a good country. We are a great country. And great countries, you know, that, that just had an, you know, a, a terrible mistake happen. And the world gets it. And the solidarity that we are building is going to continue. And the second thing I want to share is, in the Rochester area, we started a diversity and inclusion action network right after the election. We had 120 people the first meeting, and we've met another time. We've subdivided. So we are getting people that normally just have to say, oh, I don't get involved or politics is dirty to you know, say, no, this is not acceptable. Wow. So I, I'm very I'm I'm discouraged and encouraged at the same time, but I'm a hopeful <laughs> person. And I'm going to follow Michael Moore's uh, credo, and I'm calling my people every day, and they're going to get to know me. And Mike Bishop's office, I might have to take them cookies, because whatever. But they need to listen to us, and I think they're, this is going to be a big wake-up call to our legislators that this is this is... This is indecency is unacceptable. Yeah, Joanna, you know, I, I'm glad you called. I'm glad uh, we started the, the, the calls off with you today uh, because I think this is a wonderful example of exactly what we're talking about, that, that there is an opportunity uh, in your own life, in your own sort of uh, uh, circle, your own personal neighborhood or uh, circle of friends to, to figure out ways to come together uh, to organize and and come up with actions, uh, things that can be done. And I, I also love that you mentioned calling uh, your representatives. Uh, people don't, I think people underestimate the power uh, of that single action, that, that when the phones ring off the hooks, 
in these congressional offices, it has an effect. Uh, we saw that uh, used to great effect uh, during the last uh, presidency when uh, the health care law was being debated. Uh, the calls and showing up at the forums really, really um, made a difference in the way that uh, that lawmakers made their decisions. Uh, go ahead, Kadana. Um, I agree. I'm delighted that Joanna was one of our first um, callers. You know, she makes a lot of good points. Um, but I would add, you know, it's important to call our national representatives, but I really appreciate the fact that she's talking about calling state representatives, calling local officials. Local officials sure. And I would even love to hear about networks like the one that was formed in Rochester, grooming the new political leadership. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We need a new ground game. And that new ground game is going to require people who are willing to even challenge not just the Trump presidency or um, the GOP, but challenged um, Democratic officials, especially the Democratic elite, which seems to be falling in line or they're either falling in line or they're sort of still in a supplicant position. And what we need are people who are on the ground, who are not just going to call their elected representatives, but who are willing to run for office. Yeah. You know, and get in there and do that work. Um, I feel like uh, the Tea Party, uh, and we're going to talk in the second segment to a local Tea Party organizer about the effectiveness of uh, their actions. I I feel like they uh, they set sort of a model for exactly what you're talking about, not just organizing. Well, in fact, uh, there's a document that Mm -hmm. is widely circulating right now called Indivisible that was written by a few yes. congressional uh, Democratic staff um, that kind of takes, writes up what it is the Tea Party did so successfully, and it's kind of a call to action about very, very local activity that can be effective. And I see now indivisible groups popping up. And, I, you know, I think the rule book has changed to some degree. We're operating in uncharted territory, and it's going to be, uh, we're going to see lots of different things are kind of erupting locally everywhere, whether it's diversity inclusion groups or pantsuit nation uh-huh. or, you know, groups forming around one particular issue. And, and I think we've just got to be comfortable with the fact that that is um, a, a level of engagement that, that needs to happen and is good for a democracy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, Carrie Moss, I know uh, you have an appointment to get to, so I'm going to let you go. (laughs) But uh, thank you very much, as always, for being with us here on Detroit Today. Uh, And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about the women's marches uh, last weekend and the movement that could grow out of it. How is that going to happen? How do you think you could help make that happen? 313-577-1019 is the number. Uh, Coming up, we'll also talk with a member of the Tea Party uh, Caucus of Willow Run about how they made change uh, during the last presidency. Stay with us on Detroit Today. WDET brings Detroit to you. News that affects you and the music you love. Every day. Every day. On 1019 WDET. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Uh, We are talking about the women's marches that happened over the weekend, uh, asking what 
will turn those that moment, the, this moment for millions of people around the country, into a movement that is directed at change. My guests are Kadada Williams. She's a history professor at Wayne State University. Uh, I also want to welcome to the conversation Dennis Moore. He's the founder and director of the Willow Run Tea Party Caucus. Uh, Dennis, welcome to Detroit Today. Well, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Uh, also, if you want to join the conversation, tell us whether you went to the marches over the weekend. Tell us what you expect to come out of those marches. Tell us what you plan to do uh, in your neighborhood, in your social circle, uh, to help organize uh, this into something more than just a moment. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook, the WDET page there, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work your comments into the conversation. Uh, Dennis, uh, I'm glad you're, you're joining us. I, I, I want to start, uh, the, the, start with you talking about the effectiveness of the Tea Party, uh, where the sort of strength for that came from, uh, and, and why it was so effective uh, during the last presidency as sort of mounting an opposition. Well, first, let me make two statements. Mm -hmm. um, number one, the Tea Party groups across America are not monolithic, and I will speak for the Will Run Tea Party Caucus as okay. their director and sure. founder. Um, and the other thing that's going to be very important to this conversation is I want to thank the crossover Democrats who stepped from behind the blue curtain. And I think that what you're trying to do, um, they stepped from behind the blue curtain and they crossed over because they realized something. I think what the left is trying to do is changing a moment into a movement. They're going to have to understand something that I understood very early in my political activism, uh -huh. which is a bit, which has been about 15, maybe 20 years now. Um, and that is that you can't, you can't make a movement out of a moment you have to do grassroots activity, if you want to call it activism, right. fine. But you have to take a look at in the mirror. And I'm, I'm going to tell you that your political party, whatever it is, Republican or Democrat, is a mirror. And if you want that party to reflect your values, you're going to have to get in front of the mirror. Right. And that's exactly what the Will Run Tea Party Caucus did, and that is what and I'm going to give you our playbook because I don't think you can do it. I don't think the left can do what we have done. Well, and, uh, did you, uh, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't say that the playbook you're using has a history uh, on the left as well? I mean, think of the civil rights movement. How many of the things that we saw the Tea Party do did we see uh, the civil rights movement do 60 years ago? Yeah, but what, I, I guess I would like to claim – some success from our people and our predecessors in the civil rights movement. Um, as a matter of fact, the history of the civil rights movement gives credit to both sides, the Democrat and Republican Party. So um, <clears throat> there is negative history on both sides on yes. that. So I wouldn't like to um, exclude uh, our activism from civil rights. We, we are an advocate of rights that are civil. Um, but to, to give you the playbook, and I uh -huh. think the discussion here, uh -huh. um, it, it needs to be how you affect your party 
And I'm going to tell you what the Wilburon Tea Party Caucus did, and I first have to give you a name that I will give all credit to, and you're going to have to have this type of person uh-huh. in your movement before you will have success. Uh, and that man is Bill Bigler. Uh, he took an idea of empty seats. Now, these empty seats weren't local as far as our, our caucus goes. We've had, we've had plenty of good um, turnout, but they were in the convention. They were the precinct delegates who in your precinct, people weren't active enough to care that those seats were open. Right. And what we did in, in the party, we placed people in those seats who had our like values. They gave us leverage in the county conventions. And in the county conventions, we are sending people to the state convention who sure. reflect our values. Now, I'm giving you this playbook, and I'm challenging the left. Now, Stephen, I understand this. You and I will have um, we will have disagreements, but we will be civil about our disagreements, and we will talk about them. And I, I hope that can be a pattern across the country, where this is the, the one country in the world who we do not pull guns out and shoot each other over our political <laughs> disagreements. There's plenty of shooting going on, but it's not going to be a, a, a political uh, disagreement. Now, I will challenge folks on the left to find your Bill Bigler. You won't find him or her um, because when you do, you will put place in the in front of that mirror, your party, to reflect the values of the progressive left. And that will influence your party to the point that you will have so many crossover Democrats coming out from behind the blue curtain they will have an epiphany, such as Donald Trump did. He used to be a Democrat, and he had an epiphany. I believe in epiphanies. <laughs> I, I, I so much believe in epiphanies. Um, and I think, you know, although I'm sort of agnostic when it comes to Donald Trump's future, I'm very pleased, and I want to say, emphasize, very pleased with what I am seeing uh, from him now. Yeah, uh, uh, Dennis, I, I I really want to thank you for 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 making those points. Uh, we do have a lot of, of of calls, and I want to make sure uh, we get to them. Uh, Kanata Williams, I want to I want you though first to to sort of put that in in some historical context. The things that that Dennis is talking about there, mm-hmm. these are things we've seen before. These are things we've heard before on the right and the left in this country. Successful movements have always started at that really grassroots level. Right. And even when you look at the history of organized labor, when you look at the history of civil rights, when you look at the history of women's rights, when you look at the history of immigrants' rights, many of these are grassroots campaigns. And so to say that Democrats have no history in doing that and that they're, you know, or to... Or the left. You know, or, mean, the, or, you know, or the left. Or to not acknowledge the fact that that's um, something that's actually occurring right now. Um, I think is problematic. Now, that doesn't mean that the left doesn't have some issues to address in terms of establishing that local ground game um, and getting into local state uh, politics because they do. But again, I think the key is that the Tea Party is drawing on the longer history of the conservative movement and they're borrowing from the playbook of earlier left progressive movement. Yeah. Uh, um, this this idea of precinct delegates that, that Dennis is talking about, I think, is fascinating. And I have seen 
on my social media feed in the last few days, a lot of people talking about the number of precinct delegate chairs that are empty in the Democratic Party. Again, these things all mirror each other. I mean, everyone sort of ends up going the same route to make change. Right. And one of the problems is that, you know, the left has tended to focus on the national election. You know, there's no attention to the midterms. Now, part of the reason (laughs) why the Tea Party was able to achieve the success they did was because the left fell down on the midterms. And that's been one of the things that they've done for at least the past decade or so. Um, And so what we need to see is much more attention to and voter education on local and state issues. So, you you know, you should not only folk, we need to be educating people to not just focus on the national elections. They need to know who's running on city council, who's running for judge, who's running for judgeships, um, filling the local precincts, all of that work. That's part of, but that's, I guess the key is that that's tied to voter education. We need to educate ourselves and educate each other about what's happening and about how power works at the local and state level. Yeah. Again, 313-577-1019 to join the conversation. That's 313-577-1019. Let's go to Jordan in Detroit. Jordan, welcome to Detroit today. Hello. Thank you. Um, I go to U of M Dearborn, Mm -hmm. and I went down in a car to D.C., and in short, it was one of the most beautiful, empowering experiences in my life. Um, My suggestion, particularly to fellow white women, would be um, in order to build this movement, we need to create a more inclusive movement. Um, I saw a lot of problematic signs and just kind of uh, blissful ignorance among the crowds in some spots. So I feel like that's where we can improve. But also, sorry, you know, you talked about how can we go forward with action. Um, At U of M Dearborn, we have created the Coalition to Dismantle Hateful Rhetoric. So on a local level, I mean, the students are engaged and um, ensuring that we have a safe campus climate. So that's really inspiring, and I know that's going on at Wayne State and in other uh, local universities, too. So I think the way forward is inclusivity and making sure that our movement speaks for all marginalized people and not just small sub- subsections. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jordan, great point. Kadonna Williams, that's, that's a, a, a tension that goes back decades, right, uh, in, in terms of these kinds of movements is – who's speaking for whom and who's at the table helping to make decisions. Right. And who's included and who's not, who has a say. Um, I think one of the most iconic images I've seen um, shared in my circles is of the, um, is of an African-American woman who's holding a sign and it's acknowledging the fact that 54% of white women voted for Donald Donald Trump. Trump. And so On the one hand, there is the desire and expectation that we come together because we are women, but we need to acknowledge that, A, we have differences between us or that there are things that intersect in our lives like class, physical ability, nationality, race, um, sexuality, all of these other things. And so our challenge is coming, finding common cause. Right. But. To do that, we do need to, as the caller, as Jordan mentioned, we do need to acknowledge those differences and not reject or get defensive and refuse to engage or to address them. Yeah. I mean, one thing that we see with the Tea Party is that, you know, they've got quite a bit less diversity to deal with, right? So when they're looking to sort of address that mirror, their mirror has a really sort of 
select yeah. uh, image. Yeah. And the left has much, they've got many more people, many more issues to deal with, yeah. and they've just got to come together to do it. Dennis Moore, do you, do you, do you, feel like that's an accurate description of, of the Tea Party, that, that part of the strength there or part of the ease about uh, organizing and effectiveness is about a lack of diversity? Yeah. The failure of the left, um, it wasn't the failure of the left that caused the rise to repudiate that I feel that we had success doing. It was actually their success um, because we were so opposed to the progressive left, which became predominant in their party. And that's why I challenge those empty seats to be filled by the progressives. Take your um, your mindset to your convention and then flavor your party with that so that the um, blue curtain will be compromised because you will have Democrats running from your party once they understand who the progressive <laughs> socialists are. And I say that is where our success came from because we identified a tactic and pursued it very well. We went into the to the uh, state Republican convention <clears throat> with 75 seats from the Willow Run Tea Party Caucus effort of precinct delegates. They became state delegates. And Bill Schuette is your attorney general mm -hmm. because of those 75 votes. He won by a 35-vote margin, right. and we went for Bill. And so is Ruth Johnson. Right. And you can talk to them if you ever get a chance. They will know who the Willow Run Tea Party Caucus is and the success that we had in um, flavoring our party back to constitutional conservatism. Right. That is our mantra. Taxed enough already isn't a good um, acronym for what who we really are. We're constitutional centurions. We want constitutional limitations on government, and the progressive left only wants bigger government, larger programs, and more debt in, in, in public debt. Yeah. Well, and, and Dennis, I, I really appreciate that perspective. I would push back just a little on that as someone who spent five years studying the Constitution and writing about it in Washington. Uh, this is this is a, a sort of canard that gets uh, that gets put out there all the time about what the Constitution says and does not say. The Constitution does not uh, outline the limits of taxation, for instance. The Constitution does not limit the size of our government. It does limit the scope of what our government can do. And I think, uh, kudos to you, conservatives have hijacked uh, that term in a way that, that has been pretty effective. Uh, and, and I thought your articulation of it there was, was very masterful, uh, but, but I would be remiss without, uh, without calling it out. Uh, in any case, uh, let's take one more call before we uh, end this segment. Joanne in Plymouth, welcome to Detroit Today. Joanne? Oh, hi. Yeah, go ahead. Yes, hi. This is Joanne. Uh -huh. Hi. Go ahead. Yes, uh -huh. go ahead. Um, I went to, I couldn't go to the Washington March, but I did go to the Lansing March, uh -huh. and a lot of my friends did go to the Washington March, and they are now so engaged. People who were no, were not formally engaged. I even had a friend who lives in um, Livingston County. She went to a rally in Livingston County, and there were 300 people there, which is also, of course, shocking, but now everybody wants to get involved. And so... Um, my issue is, of course, health care. I'm worried about the Affordable Care Act. I'm worried about privatizing Medicare. 
I told my my Republican friends, I said, you all have pre-existing conditions. They privatized Medicare. Guess what happens to you? And they all looked at me like shocked, like, oh, what do we do? So I'm trying to get the word out to them. But also, you know, there's that badge of honor, the hand um, badge that, you know, kind of signified the march. And they're all over Michigan. I don't know if they went to the National March or not, but I ordered them. It's the Peace Unity March button. And so I'm starting to wear that. And now everybody wants one of those. And also there are postcards by the um, march itself that you can send to your legislators. And so everybody I told at work that I was doing that, they said, oh, get me some, get me some, get me some. So <laughs> trust me, there is a really rallying point out there. And I know a lot of diverse people. Everybody's on the same page. They are all ready to rally for this. So everybody's looking for groups to get together with. Groups are getting, women's groups are getting together. I'm going to start advertising the fact that Medicare has only a 3% administrative fee. If they cut, if they change Medicare to privatization, everybody's rates will really go up. And why are we paying these huge bucks for all of our representatives and senators in the National Congress um, for all their, you know, Cadillac plans forever and ever and ever. I think that should change, too. All right, Joanne. And I think we should start a rally for that instead. Yeah. They're going to cut everybody else in the middle class and make them lower class, and now they're just going to be the elite. Right. So Joanne, thanks. do that, too. Thanks very much for the call and, and for making those great points. It's great to hear as many people who have called the program today talking about how they are already involved, not about how they are going to get uh, involved. Uh, Kanata Williams, history professor at Wayne State University, and Dennis Moore, uh, founder and director of the Willow One Tea Party Caucus. Thanks both of you for being here on Detroit Today. Thanks for having we'll us. I'll have to have you guys back and follow up on this conversation in a few months. All right. Uh, up next, we're going to talk about a local charter school that's focusing on diversity, but finding challenges in the way that that plays out. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Mm-hmm.